This is Charlene Contra from the Office of Evangelization and Catechesis for the Archdiocese of Galveston, Houston. Welcome to In God's Image, radio program designed to focus on the inclusion of persons with disabilities and their families in the full life of the church. Of all the challenges facing people today, there is one issue churches often don't talk about, yet it's one of the most pressing issues of our time. And it's an issue affecting citizens all over our country. It's the issue of mental illness. Mental illness is a very real problem in our country, impacting the lives of millions of people each day. According to the National Institute of Mental Health, approximately one out of four Americans live with a mental illness that is severe enough to be diagnosed. Not including minors, that adds up to 60 million Americans. And for each person, person, there are countless family members and friends who are also affected. Family members and friends who help them cope with the challenges of their illness. Pray for them and love them, even in the midst of their struggles. With me today is a woman who loves someone with mental illness. She refers to that individual as Milo. It's likely that some of you listening may share this reality. So I hope that today's conversation will help us all learn how to be a better family member, friend, neighbor, or parishioner to individuals who have mental illness, diagnosed or undiagnosed. Sandy, thank you for being here to shed some insights with us on this important topic. Since mental illness can be an invisible disability, can you start by telling us how you began knowing about Milo's struggles? It started during the holidays, oddly enough, Charlene, and first I want to thank you for inviting me to be here to talk about this. Um, there was an extreme behavior change in Milo that we hadn't noticed before. There was rapid speech, there was a restlessness and agitation that we had never, ever experienced. And I really didn't understand this. We thought perhaps there was an issue with drugs, with alcohol, with sleep deprivation, and we were completely... Uh, out of the blue, this came on. So I didn't know what to do. We went to doctor, his pediatrician, and talked with him. Um, there was nothing that he could say. Um, many times when our loved ones are experiencing these symptoms, these episodes, they're over the age of 18, so information is guarded by HIPAA. So I ended up getting on the Internet and found a, an organization that offers free education for families as well as those suffering with mental illnesses, or we call them brain disorders. And that is where I started my journey. Well, I can understand you were unprepared for this circumstance that you hadn't experienced before. And again, like many families, you probably did what most most people would. You just tried to research, 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 correct? It, where, where did the research lead you? Well, it led us, first of all, to um, looking at the symptoms I was uh, seeing. And then it led me to mental illness. And from there, looking up specific symptoms, it led me to bipolar disorder. And from there, I went and did a lot of research about bipolar disorder. Um, I did try contacting uh, the hospital where Milo ended up uh, being held for three days and was able to at least get the diagnosis um, from them. That was it. And from there, I then uh, found the organization National Alliance on Mental Illness and found that they did offer education courses because 
doctors, sociologists, psychologists don't have the time, nor are they trained to teach family members or people who love someone with mental illness about the illnesses and how to deal with that illness within a family. Um, this organization does give you that kind of information. And that's where we um, started out, and it, I took a 12-week class and learned about the illnesses, about the symptoms, about medications, terminology I'd never heard before, the biology of the brain, where I learned that this was not a character flaw. This was not a personality defect. It is a medical illness, a chemical imbalance within the brain. Um, and we learned about that brain chemistry and the different um, chemicals that affect the chemistry or, and or experiences. Traumatic stress can bring on a chemical change in the brain. Um, sleep deprivation as well. So in learning about that, the first thing I learned was that um, my loved one, it wasn't something he did or something that I caused. It was an illness. And that led to um, an understanding that I didn't have before. I always thought, um, I grew up in a family where it's cry me a river, build me a bridge, and get over it. Um, I didn't understand that he had no control over this, that it was like diabetes. He, a diabetic cannot control their insulin. A person with mental illness cannot control their brain chemistry. Knowing that was the first step in learning that, okay, it's an illness. What can we do to help you? It had to be liberating, of course, to find out, like you say, that it wasn't, um, it, it wasn't willful. Again, not in any way, shape, or form. It wasn't the cause of anything you did or they were doing or, uh, as well, I say. And, and just that fact that I think a lot of people don't realize this is a physical disability. A lot of times we park it in the emotional disability category, and that might be symptoms, but the actual disability or diagnosis is of, of the, a brain disorder, as you mentioned. So it's a physical disability, and I think it's good for people to know that as well. Absolutely. So I'm glad you mentioned that. Because we judge people on these illnesses. We think that it is under their control or that they caused it or that the family caused it. And part of the reason I don't use a name is because of the stigma um, that people will say, oh, he's bipolar. Well, no, he is a person with a bipolar disorder that doesn't define his whole personality. Does the, um, as you mentioned, you don't refer to him by his name. You refer to him as Mila. Mila is the yeah. individual. So, so is, does Mila stand as an acronym? Yes, it, it is. And it stands for my mentally ill loved one. Very good. Beautiful. So Milo stands for my mentally ill loved one. Very nice. And again, I think that respects the dignity of the person as well as their own confidentiality and anonymity because there is, unfortunately, still a lot of stigma, which is why we need to talk about it more openly. Because there are people out there who do not feel stigmatized, who are very happy to talk about their illnesses. And my hope is that one day Milo will feel the same. However, because of professions and businesses, um, there are many executives out there that may be suffering and will never, ever share that information because they uh, know that people will think that they are no longer competent if they have this illness, and that is not the truth. Right, because it's risky. You're right. You become more vulnerable uh, on top of already being vulnerable. Absolutely. Um, so that's important. The other thing you mentioned, uh, the National Alliance on Mental Illness, I just want to reiterate that name of the organization.
organization. We are very blessed in Houston to have the Greater Houston NAMI, uh, which is the acronym N-A-M-I organization. This is a free resource for families, communities, and churches, etc. So if you're not familiar yet with NAMI, N-A-M-I.org, I believe, I think is their website. I encourage people to check that out for a wealth of resources Absolutely. at their disposal. Yes, thank you, Charlotte, for that. And actually, NAMIGreaterHouston.org is the one for Houston. NAMI.org is the nationwide organization, and it is the largest grassroots organization in the country supporting mentally ill and their loved ones. Um, and their three big areas are education, support, and then advocacy. So they do all three pieces, and it's a pretty seamless organization that has helped, and it's all evidence-based. It has helped literally hundreds of thousands of people. Beautiful. I know we've often used um, speakers even from that organization to come and do presentations for us at conferences and at other professional growth days. And, and as I always encourage parishes, that's something that they can do by inviting, uh, contacting the organization locally here and asking for them to come to uh, host, just host their trainings, mm-hmm. give them space. They bring the speakers, everything. You just have to just let your your you know local community, your parishioners and local community know to come to these events yes. and gain, again, not only information. I would say they're also gaining, as you can probably testify to, a lot of hope that there's a future and a life with a diagnosis that is very, very beautiful. And absolutely. Nothing it's, to be afraid or ashamed of. Absolutely. It's not the same life. It is changed. But it, it's not necessarily changed for the worse. It can be much better. And people who do deal with these illnesses every day, day in and day out, in many cases, you wouldn't wish this on your worst enemy, but on many cases, we're very blessed because we have an empathy and understanding, um, a greater wisdom um, for each other than ever was before. So it is a challenge, but it is extremely hopeful. And there are, as I said earlier, many, many people who are living very full happy lives who live with this every day. Right. And, and for the rest of us, again, that maybe this hasn't touched our lives as personally as another person's, we have the opportunity, and I would say the responsibility, to do what we're doing today, to learn more so that we can be the best friend, neighbor, you know, parishioner to someone. Um, I, I've read that it says uh, more than of pastors say they know multiple people in their faith communities struggle with mental illness. Less than 13% say it's discussed openly. So here you have this unusual reality of knowing you have a great percentage of people in front of you in pews, if you're a pastor, let's say, but yet realizing, again, because of probably stigma, many people don't talk about it nearly as much as we would hope they would. And again, that's only going to come about the more we can really raise awareness and remove stigmas. And as we kind of mentioned earlier, and I often say, to be curious about situations we don't understand and not judgmental. Right. And education is the key to that. Curiosity, if you are interested, then educating yourself. And as I said, NAMI does offer the free classes. You don't have to, it's fam, there's a family and friends. So if you know that someone's struggling, maybe it's educating yourself and learning how to approach people, to listen to people, to speak with those individuals so that you appear, so that you can be interested but not pushing yourself with appearing to be judgmental. That's a way you can become involved. 
And as you started out by saying, you started noticing symptoms um, in Milo around the holidays. The yes. holidays are a critical time often for someone with a mental illness, correct? Very much so. It's always stressful and there's good stress, um, but there can be uh, bad stress. And when people come together, sometimes they're overexhausted, they've overindulged, um, they're seeing each other for the first time in several years or a year. And things could have, traumatic events could have happened uh, this past year with Harvey. Definitely many, many families experienced PTSD symptoms. Um, and so the, all of a sudden you haven't seen someone and you see them and they're not the same as they were before. That is a key. And we tell people, trust your gut. Sometimes you think, oh, it's just a phase or it's just this event. But sometimes our guts tell us, no, there's, it's bigger than that. I love that. Follow your instincts. You're right. You know, and again, if we're even being prayerful people, that we realize that, you know, the Spirit will speak to us. The Spirit will let us know if we are peaceful enough, which is hard to be peaceful sometimes when we're in, you know, an emotional storm, so to speak, or even, you know, tension in families, etc. But, again, all the more reason that through our faith that we can keep ourselves peaceful so that we can, in essence, give peace to others and certainly model peace especially when someone else might be spinning out of control. All the more reason we need to be grounded. Absolutely. In fact, if someone is spinning out of control, the most the most effective way to deal with that is to be peaceful, calm, non-argumentative, um, just to be present and listen. Because when someone is symptomatic or um, in the psychosis, trying to have a rationed, reasoned uh, conversation with them just isn't possible. And in order to de-escalate, it's better to maintain that calm and peace. Thank you. Thank you. Is there any other last comments you'd like to say to our listeners? Just that to trust your gut, and if you have questions, get your education and know that there is hope. It is not a hopeless help, and you are not helpless. There is help out there. Thank you so much again, Sam, for being with us. And most importantly, I'm just going to say, talk openly, please, about um, mental illness whenever you do have opportunities, uh, because there are millions of people who need to hear this conversation. I hope you were blessed by listening to In God's Image today. I welcome your questions and comments. Please send them to ingodsimage at archgh.org. That's ingodsimage at archgh.org. This is Charlene Katra asking God to bless us with loving and generous hearts.